Black Lives Matter, Craig. Yep. Um, this is a, a special and different episode of Podcast versus Everyone. Um, Jeff will get into that in a second. Um, I'm Craig Powers. Uh, with me is Jeff Newser, as always. And Yo. then uh, this week we have a special guest, uh, Zane Murfit, our colleague from Coog Center. Our uh, data nerd uh, is what you'd probably know him as, uh, the master of the tableau graph. Um, the guy who makes the awesome visuals. Yes, of course. Um, but this is a podcast, so you will see none of that. Um, but yeah, Jeff, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick it over to you and uh, let you kind of uh, uh, introduce this topic today. Yeah. So hey, when we started this podcast, you know, over a year ago, uh, Craig and I talked, and we're like, hey, you know, let's let's do a podcast. What should we talk about? And 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 at the time, we were sort of like, you know, I don't even know, you know, there's there's kook podcasts out there. Let's just talk about, you know, whatever. Let's talk about what's interesting to us. Let's talk. We'll talk some kooks. We'll talk some beer. Um, and one of the things we were like, let, we'll talk some politics. We'll talk about this. You know, we'll just we'll talk about pop culture. Um, I think at one point we even what did we do? We were like, recommend your favorite podcast that nobody. Yeah. I mean, I, we we were like, recommend like, a better like podcast. Yeah, yeah. So it was sort of like trying to figure out where we where we fit with the podcast and um you know obviously we ended up settling in on talking almost exclusively about wsu um but you know really the roots of what uh you know roots of what we thought was you know we we want to talk about stuff that really mattered to us um stuff that was really important to us um stuff that we thought was important in general um, and, and that's kind of where we find ourselves this week, right? I mean, with everything that's going on in, in the country over the last, um, you know, couple of weeks, uh, it, you know, starting with the, the death of George Floyd and then up to, you know, the last week or so of, uh, sort of mass demonstrations around the country. Um, you know, this is, this is a moment, man. And, and, you know, as I've mentioned on the podcast many times, you know, I'm a high school teacher, uh, you know, I teach English and I was, you know, having a conversation with one of my kids over zoom <laughs> the other day. And, uh, and, you know, I was just like, man, you know, this is like, like, this is so crazy. Um, this is, this is a moment in history that, uh, people are going to talk about, you know, people our age, um, you know, you guys were, were a little bit younger than me at this time, but, you know, I'm sure you remember the Rodney King riots, right? Um, you know, and so it's just sort of like, you know, this is going to be, I think, one of those moments where, you know, for the rest of our lives, we're going to look back at, you know, 2020 with, you know, COVID and, and, and these, these protests and, you know, just whatever else goes on. I mean, it's the, the year's only half over. So, um, so this is a, this is an episode that sort of harkens back to where we started, which is saying, you know, when, when something important is going on, you know, we want to talk about that. And, um, so, you know, we decided that we wanted to talk in some way about, um, about what was going on with the protests about black lives matter, um, about why black lives matter and things like that. Um, there was initially some trepidation on our part with that because we're like, Hey, we're a bunch of white guys, you know, yay, you know, we can high five each other while we talk about race. Right. Um, yeah. and that is most definitely what we did not want to do, uh, was, was to come off in, in some sort of, uh, you know, the, the way, the way that white people can, which is as a, as, as some sort of white savior, you know, coming down off the mountain to, to rescue black people. Um, so we kind of wanted to start off by saying, you know, that, that is not our intent. 
different. Um, what we're hoping to, to do through this is to have a frank and honest conversation, um, particularly with a particular focus on how, um, how white people can be allies in, and not just in, um, in thought, but, but in deed, you know, in, in the things that we can do. Um, and so, you know, for me, I mean, I'll just, you know, I'll just give a little bit of background where I'm at. You know, I am 43 years old. Uh, I am very white. I grew up in a very white uh, community and I really, you know, mostly have white friends. So, um, you know, this has been quite a journey for me to get to the point where I'm at here. But um, and I know that, you know, you two kind of share, you know, similar backgrounds and I'll, I'll let you guys talk about those in a sec. But one of the big things that we just kind of wanted to talk about today was, um, just how important this is and how, uh, how vital it is for, for people, for white people, uh, to get involved and, and to, to start doing things, um, to merely not be non-racist, but to be anti-racist. That's sort of one of the, the big messages that that's out there right now is that, um, black people say, look, man, we need white people to be, uh, not just non-racist, but you know, anti-racist, actually actively working against racism. So, um, Craig, I'll throw it back to you. Why don't, um, why don't you share a little bit about, you know, kind of your, your journey toward understanding that this, this is just vital. And I think the word, the phrase used earlier was moral imperative. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, uh, I just kind of a, a brief history of, of my experience with, uh, um, you know, this topic is, it, it, it really, I, I think back even, you know, this is a WSU podcast, but I think back to my time at WSU and, and really where it was thrown in my face, um, kind of the systemic uh, racism in the U.S. Um, for the first time really was at WSU um, growing up in a, in a predominantly white community with, um, you know, um, you know, I did grow up around like a lot of Hispanics and things like that, but, um, you know, it didn't really, um, register with me. Um, but you know, the WSU, uh, comparative ethnic studies, general education class, where, um, basically they're just hitting you over the head with all of the stuff that the United States has done for, you know, or that has happened since, you know, for 400 years. Um, that, that was pretty eye opening for me at the time. I remember, um, some people took it differently and, and, um, were offended by, you know, as, as white people and thought, you know, I, I had, I had even friends that thought it was like a, you know, just a, a, a white attack class. It was just an attack on whites class. And you're like, well, um, <laughs> if you look yeah. at the history, uh, it, it's hard not to do it. Um, but, um, and then fast forward to, you know, I, I moved to Nashville when I was in my mid twenties and I, I worked at a group home, um, with, uh, teens who were, um, obviously in trouble with the law and, um, and obviously a lot of black teens being in Nashville and, and even just moving to Nashville was quite a different experience for me moving from the Northwest, uh, uh living in a, in a, in a city with, you know, significant black neighborhoods interspersed, really seeing, um, realizing and understanding um kind of uh how housing segregation has kind of manipulated neighborhoods in the in in american cities uh for the first time and then um experiencing just kind of the secondhand experience of of, of talking with my you know the the kids i worked with the, the 15 to 18 year olds um and learning about their what what it was like for them and and 
Um, there's, there was always this one thing that stuck out to me, um, was this one kid, a particularly difficult, uh, if I'll admit, a kid to work with, really hard to get through. Um, but, uh, he, he was a, he was a black kid, a black teenager. And, um, and he said, uh, he told me that, that, uh, um, he, uh, he, he hates black people more than he hates white people. He doesn't trust black people. Um, because, uh, basically, um, he, all he had seen his whole life is, uh, is people talking negatively about African-Americans and, and the experience of, of being a black person. Like he, that just really hit with me. And, and it's always been, uh, something that I've carried with me that him telling me that. Um, and so, uh, yeah. And so when, when you get to this point, um, when something like this is happening, uh, I, I, I tend, uh, to my online persona, uh, not, not stir up trouble like you do, Jeff. Um, <laughs> um, I, I usually kind of keep it pretty, uh, vanilla. Um, but, but at, at this point, um, we're kind of at a crossroads and, and like I said, it's, um, it, 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 it's just like kind of a moral imperative to where we should share, we should talk about, um, you know, our views on this and, and, and what people can do and, and, and kind of uh, point to the voices that they should listen to uh, beyond ours, of course. Um, if, if we're just kind of your first entry into this, if you're still listening, I think that's great. Um, but yeah, um, that's kind of um, where I'm at, you know, that just uh, uh, feeling the, the movement um, yeah, over the last uh, week um, took me from trepidation to kind of excitement to jump on this. Zane, where are you at? I feel, uh, I feel very, um, motivated to move from awareness to action. And, uh, and, and I've been helped by the stories of, of people like Noah Williams, um, and Gabe Marks and, uh, you know, in terms of hearing their experience, um, similar to Craig and you, I mean, I grew up in a town that was majority white school was majority white. You know, the only exposure I had to any kind of systemic things is having a little brother with a physical disability, which exposed us to kind of like some of that. Um, but really it was English classes in college and learning about things like the GI bill and how that played out for people of color, specifically black people versus, white folks um and so you know at this point i'm i think uh you know i've gone um i've tried kind of uh i've tried rudeness with people that disagree with me and it hasn't worked um and i've i feel like i'm going from awareness to action uh and looking for ways to just take tangible steps to provide more space for people of color uh, especially in this moment for black folks to share their experience and to really listen and think about what I can tangibly do next um, and not ask people who uh, aren't where I am to be where I am because I wasn't always here. Uh, but in that, I'm also looking for ways to invite people to take that step uh, with me. If, if that's buying a book for to read to your kids that has uh, black heroes in it, uh, which is something my wife and I did this week, uh, or if it's um, marching for the first time, which is something we did as well, or 
Um, you know, I just, I reached out to the local police department just to try to get to know people there because I realized, you know, I've, I've lived in my town for a few years now and actually I've never even had to consider uh, getting to know the police for any reason, right? It's kind of like, I don't know, they're just kind of around and I guess if I need them, I'll call them. Um, and so uh, I'm just looking for ways to uh, go from just being aware of what's going on and, and to try to be helpful um, and be a good listener and to ask thoughtful questions of the people in my life who maybe aren't where I am in hopes that uh, they feel invited to, to go on the same journey uh, that I feel like I'm on of, of really paying attention to these stories and really considering, you know, why does, why did Gabe Marks have such a, a different experience than me or someone like Noah Williams who grew up uh, not far, you know, not, well, really in the grand scheme of things, not far from where I grew up. Uh, how could, how could he have such a, a different experience? And I'm just trying to listen to that and then think about um, what I can do. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I kind of want to just, you know, say for the listeners is if you hear <laughs> at any point during this, uh, a little hesitation and trepidation in our voice, um, look, this is, these are tough conversations, right? Like, like this is, uh, it's, it's tough conversations. And, and I think the three of us are, um, acutely aware of our limitations, you know, like, like we, um, certainly, certainly don't know shit about what it means to be a black person in this country. Um, but I think that the three of us have also committed ourselves to, to listening. And, and I know that, um, you know, this week with all the corporate statements, you know, listening has been, uh, has been quite the catchphrase with, uh, a lot of the statements and things that, that corporations have written or, um, you know, well-meaning people maybe have also written. Um, so maybe what I'm kind of thinking is, you know, maybe we could share together some of the things that each of us have done to listen. Um, because I think that, you know, that there's listening is, has been around a lot here. And then, you know, the word empathy is also being uh, used a lot. And, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm working on a column here uh, that is taking me forever to finish. But, um, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm kind of riffing on a little bit is the idea that, you know, I think most people consider themselves empathetic. Um, but the question is like, okay, so when you see, you know, the George Floyd video, are you, is your thought, wow, that's really sad. Or is your thought like I'm, I'm nearly moved to tears like that, like maybe, or, or even moved to tears. Right. Um, those things are kind of maybe two opposite ends of maybe it's not opposite, but, but two different points on the like empathy continuum. And, you know, where you're at on that continuum, I, I tend to think is, I mean, some people are certainly just more naturally empathetic than others, but I also think that like, you know, the, the more humanity you see in the person who's hurt, um, the more likely you are to be emotionally disturbed about it yourself. Like, and, and an easy analogy is look like, you know, you're going to feel very differently about a stranger, uh, who dies versus like a close family member who dies, right? Like you're going to feel very differently. Your empathy for other people is going to be uh, very different in those instances. And so, you know, one thing when, when I, when we, when I say, listen, and, and I'm, again, I'm curious to hear, you know, the way, the way you two conceptualize it. Um, for me, one of the things that I've done, you know, I don't have um, a lot of black voices in my actual day-to-day -day life. Um, the principal of my school is a black man who's an amazing leader and a wonderful guy, but, and not, but, but, you know, I mean, he's still my boss, right? So it's not really like, like a close friendship. I can talk to him, but it's, it's, you know, and, and we're, you know, fairly 
close. I mean, we're okay, but it's like, you know, still my boss, right? Um, you know, and there's some other black teachers in my school, but they're not in my department. I don't interact with them a whole lot. Um, you know, and then my social circle, you know, my church is very white and it's just kind of like, okay, so lots of white people around me. So what I've had to do is I've actually had, I've had to go out and seek out, um, black voices. And for me, Twitter is, is sort of my primary, um, my primary source of those voices where, you know, I go and I, and I follow, you know, really, really smart people whose perspectives I find, um, really important and, and insightful. So, you know, people like, uh, Gene Denby, who is the, the host of Code Switch, the, the Code Switch podcast on NPR, uh, people like Jamel Hill, uh, people like, uh, Bomani Jones is another one. Uh, Clint Smith, who's a, a former educator now, kind of a, activist um you know so follow a lot of really like smart insightful black people because um then you just you just sit back and when their thoughts come across your feed you can look at it and go oh <laughs> you know that's how that person sees it and and you start to see um you know if you have enough of those people uh coming across your timeline you, you start to see similarities um you start to see um, you know, similar viewpoints on certain issues and certain events. Um, and you start to, you can use that information to start to sort of um, cull together this understanding of what really what it means to be black in America, because obviously I'm, I'm never going to stand that from a firsthand perspective, but, um, you know, secondhand in that way, reading that um, as much as possible and just sort of listening to it um, and being like, oh, uh, you know, those are all, those are the ways that I listen, the biggest ways that I listen. I mean, I, I do other things to, you know, I watch movies and, you know, like try to get some of those voices out of the way. But, but Twitter for me, honestly, has been, you know, really invaluable, um, particularly since, uh, you know, my, my big trigger moment was, you know, 2014 in Ferguson with Michael Brown. So, um, you know, in that time, you know, just really, again, reading, listening and 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 I think the key is also as you read it you know you got to put aside whatever preconceived notions you have about whatever and you've just got to say that their experience is their experience and believe them um, that's kind of the big thing that that the other big piece of advice I would say is okay so once you've taken the step to seek out these voices believe them no no what about no yeah but no like eh, maybe deserved it you know I mean like none of that just listen and believe them. So, Craig, what are your thoughts on that? How, how to how to listen better? Yeah, um, uh, I, yeah. In my day to day now, uh, I, I say like uh, I again, like you, I don't um, interact um, with um, I uh, a lot of like black people, but I you know I, I try to again like um, reach out. You know I've in in the past uh, with like a previous job I, I you know i had uh previous jobs i had coworkers and friends every day that, that were black that i that i talked to and, and you know i've reached out to them in this time and stuff just to kind of get their perspectives but um but yeah it's the same for me you know it's just following uh, people in my community on twitter people you know smart people like you said and um you know i i i, I follow i i I have a lot of respect for a young, uh, well, he's a little bit younger than me, uh, a journalist uh, at the Tacoma News Tribune, Andrew Hammond. Um, um, he's, uh, his perspective and just, he's he's not really afraid to kind of share his um, thoughts and feelings and, and just seeing like the, 
you know, the, the, the fear that he goes through watching all of this and just, um, he wrote an article about the, you know, the, the moments with police that he's had where he's, you know, felt that terror of, of, uh, you know, uh, of losing his life. And, 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 and it's just something that, you know, if you, if you speak with a, enough, uh, black people, you will hear, um, the same stories again and again, how a traffic stop for them is probably not like a traffic stop for you. Um, you there, there's a whole different feeling when that, when that police officer is approaching the vehicle. And so, um, it, it, so yeah, people like that, um, uh, and, uh, to, to call it a, a coog, uh, uh, Mike Duger, Michael Sean Duger, um, uh, another great person to follow, um, during this time and, and, and find his perspective. Um, yeah. And it's because of Twitter's nature, uh, people, um, these voices are able to kind of share more because it doesn't have to be a fleshed out, like think piece. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, anything. It just can be kind of their raw feeling on things. And, and that's probably the most honest thing we can get from them. And really, if, if, if you're reading that stuff, you should be open, like, like, you should have an open mind to it, you an open heart to it, even, you know, and like, accept what they're saying, and consider what they're saying, and, uh, and kind of block out maybe some of the, the, the voices that are, that are telling you, uh, maybe from your past, or, or from other news outlets you get, that are telling you, uh, maybe something different, or, or minimizing what they're saying, um, you should take what they're saying at, at face value, and then, and kind of compare it to the mound of mounds of data. Um, not, not, you know, it, it doesn't even take, uh, bars and graphs and charts, like just, just look at what's going on. And like, you, you can see that this, like this era of, of cell phone video has illuminated something that previously was just stories that um, people were often too afraid to share. And that's something that um, we've kind of come across. I liken it a lot to um, what you hear from, you know, uh, uh, abuse survivors or, or um, uh, rape survivors where um, the, the person often fears retribution um, just by sharing their experience. And we saw that today uh, with uh, WC basketball player Jalen Shedd um, in his statement he made about, um, his coach at Texas state, um, with his racist actions, um, and how, why he transferred. But he, he said in that statement that he was afraid to come out about it because he wanted to play basketball again his senior year somewhere. And he wants to coach eventually. And, we, we've seen like the, the basketball coaching kind of community can be very kind of like protective of each other. And, and if you, if you harm one of the, like we, you know, we saw it obviously with like Bruce Pearl when he, when he ratted out people for, um, you know, recruiting violations, like he got kind of blackballed from the whole coaching profession for a few years, but like, and so you see shed like by throwing a, you know, like throwing out these, uh, accusations at a coach, which, um, we'll say that many people have confirmed um, in, in the in the rest, you know, in the in the hours since. Um, uh, we should probably call that coach's name out. I, I don't have it in front of me right now, but um, 
but uh, he had that trepidation because he feared like he could feel like it might hurt him or for a lot of black Americans, they probably don't come out with these stories because they didn't see a point. Like there was nothing that would, that would help. And, And now this is a moment where they can come out with these stories and people will listen. And so I think we should listen to these stories, like stories like Noah Williams that he shared. And, and we can get into that too. Um, I know Isaiah and you probably want to talk about that too. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it to you now, Zane. I think I've talked long enough, but, uh, um, yeah, how are you, you've talked about how, how you want to listen and, and, and that's kind of what, um, when we were talking before the, before we started recording, uh, you were talking about how, um, you really want to, to discuss how the voices that you've heard, uh, you know, that you've read, um, in the past, you know, week have kind of, kind of compelled you to action. So what, what it is about, like, what are these stories that you're hearing and how are they compelling you to take action? Yeah, that's a good question. And I mean, one of it was, uh, one of the, my, uh, I mean, yeah, cards on the table. I don't have a super diverse network either. It's a, it's something I'm actively working on, you know, where I'm just trying to make friends. I realize like I, the Seattle freeze, I think, can sometimes be real and we can get really comfortable. And so I've been trying to, to step out of my comfort zone and just go make new friends. Uh, but an old friend who is a black male, uh, he actually connected me with three other white guys who had uh, white uh, of his friends who had checked in on him uh, during all of this. And he was basically like, I'm just exhausted from talking about this. And so I need you. Th- I need you for to talk about what you can do as the people kind of empower to try to change things. And I'm kind of not able to, to really have this conversation right now. And I know uh, that's not the case for all black people. Clearly that's just the case for my friend, but hearing that was a moment where I was like, um, yeah, I can't just talk about this anymore. Um, and I feel like I've consumed, or I can't just silently uh, be upset. You know, I can't just right. look at, look at things and say like, Oh wow, that's, really too bad that that happened to that person um and so for me um it's just turned into trying to take those small steps every day and and you know when uh you know like seeing the confederate flag being flown at like a counter protest uh, or when people were worried maybe it wasn't even a counter protest but when people were worried that looters were coming to a town nearby where i live um (laughs) you know the People went out and demonstrated with guns, which is their right to do in this state. Um, but they were showing white power symbols and showing uh, the Confederate flag. And in the past, I would have just said, man, that's really sad. Um, but instead, I thought, OK, well, let's like I'm going to call the police department and I'm going to call the mayor. And I just want to be a, a voice so that my friends of color can take a break. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, but and simultaneously, I'm trying to recognize that I haven't always been in this place, and I, and so I'm not trying to ask other people to necessarily be there, but I am trying to ask good questions about where they're at to invite them to take that first step. If that is like reading a book or following someone on Twitter, because uh, I think we really have nothing to lose by listening and everything to gain. And there's just the reality that you know, in the same way, if someone tried to talk to me about the experience of someone with a disability, having a brother that has one, I would have been, if, if I shared an experience and this has happened and they completely dismiss it or say that didn't happen. It's like, 
oh, okay. <laughs> uh, maybe you're not a safe person for me then. And I just think right. that um, at this point, we need to listen and then we also need to turn that listening into action of some kind. Um, so that's been the process for me. I mean, similar to you, like I've been highly influenced by people I follow on Twitter, by books I've read, um, you know, a book I'm reading right now that is just helpful of understanding an individual's experience as a black person in primarily white environments. It's just called, it's called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing Brown. Uh, she, it's essentially her memoir. Um, and so, I'm reading things like that. I'm talking to friends and people in my community and, and just asking you know, and, and thinking about what I can tangibly do and what we can tangibly do and um, and invite like my friends and acquaintances in the WSU community as well to figure out what their first step forward or their next step forward looks like. Yeah, one of the big things, you know, one of the, I think one of the cool things about this moment um, is that you know, all of this is coming out kind of all at once <laughs> and lots of people are speaking all at the same time, which can be overwhelming. But also, um, again, if you're committed to listening, um, you're going to hear the same things over and over and over and over from so many different black people. Um, you know, whereas if you just follow a bunch of people on Twitter like I do and you go, you know, over the last, you know, five, six years, whatever it's been. And, you know, every once in a while you get right. one of those stories, right? Every once in a while something trickles out about, you know, what it's like to be a black person in America, what it's, you know, what this is like, what that is like. Um, you know, it, it, it sort of, again, like I said, it trickles out, it's here and there. And, and so if you follow for long enough and you're, you know, pay attention enough, you start to see these patterns, you start to see these things, you start to see these similar experiences from people. The moment we're in right now <laughs> is like man you are getting a flood of black people saying yep that's what it's like yep this is what it's like yep 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 you know and it's like you know you um you know you, from a story you mentioned uh you know craig you mentioned michael sean duger you know he did a story on bobby wagner talking about you know his experience as a black man and then you know a few days later he's got a story on russell wilson talking about you know right after he won the super bowl he had a, a racial based a race-based incident in a freaking restaurant like um you know and then you've got you know all these coogs uh you know you got gabe marks talking about it you got uh Makia menace a soccer player talking about it um you you know, and you got you mentioned Jalen Shedd, you know, basketball player talking about it. And, and it's just sort of like, look, you have this this incredible wave of black people saying like, no, this is real. This is my experience. I have experienced it. Um, it, it it's sort of at a point where, you know, if you're not aware of it, you, you're you, you, at this point, you're being willfully ignorant. Right. Like right. Um, because if you're in, you know, I mean, I understand there are some white people that hold extreme positions who have insulated themselves from any other viewpoint, which, you know, we know that exists, but if you're a sports fan and if you're listening to this, presumably you are right. Like, you know, you're, you're presumably a WSU fan. Like, um, you know, if you're a sports fan, WSU fan, you, you, there's no way you could be insulated from this. Like it's like, it's out there, all these people, you know, you, you love cheering for teams that are loaded with black people. So right. there's no way to miss this. Um, and the other thing I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hearing over and over and over again is, um, you know, do something 
right? Like, like don't, it, it's not an, I mean, listening is a good first step. I mean, listening is good, but, but you know, the time for, for listening is over, you know, the time for, uh, being well-intentioned and, and being, mm-hmm. you know, moral support is over. And, and I understand that different people have different reasons for not getting involved, um, in actually trying to combat the effects of racism. Um, and, and, and which is really what it comes down to, right? This is the anti-racist piece of this, right? You have to actively, you can't just be like non-racist. You can't like, well, I'm, I'm not racist. Okay. But what are you doing to stop racism? Because there is a system that has been built specifically to hold black people down and it's undeniable. And if you do deny it, then, you know, maybe do a little bit of do a little bit of learning, you know, um, because it's there. The systems are in place to, to make for second class citizens and keep white people in power. So it's the message I'm hearing, which is, again, maybe a little bit different than I've ever heard it before, is, look, man, white people control these levers. And the only way anything is going to change is if white people get up there and join the fight, not not like lead the fight, not like, you know, save us. But like, yo, we need you next to us because y'all are the ones who control that. And so if you're going to because we are going we and I, I speak for the three of us, you know, look, this is going to cost us something. You know, I mean, there, there's there's an element of power and control that has to be let go of um, by by the majority. And that for a lot of people is is terrifying, whether they want to acknowledge it on a conscious level or not. It really is, you know, this idea that maybe I won't, you know, get mine if I lift somebody else up. And the reality is that that we are needed in this fight and and that's a message that i really had not heard clearly up until this point you know i tried to do little acts i mean you know i mentioned i'm a teacher right so um you know try to do my best to to you know to to amplify uh you know black voices in my classroom in my school um provide you know the the support that's necessary there um you know support the the programs in my school that support um, you know, uh, black kids who want to be academically successful, like AVID. Um, if people don't know what AVID is, it's just a, it's a program designed to help, you know, first generation uh, targeting traditionally underserved populations, help them get to college. Um, it's a great program. You know, so really kind of trying to do those things. And then, you know, re, you know, I do retweets on Twitter like, hey, you know, you should read this, you know. Um, I, you know, I just I finally figured out that's not enough and, and that's not enough action. And so um, you know, Craig, what are some of the things I'm curious, what are some of the things that you are either doing or, or plan to do to kind of, um, to, to be anti-racist rather than just non-racist? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, one thing I've, I've, uh, been trying to, we, we have a little bit of a, a megaphone here. Um, and I'm realizing that, that, you know, I, I, I can, I can spread the right messages um, more um, through this, through my Twitter account, through my Facebook account, through my Instagram, whatever. Um, I, I can be more assertive in the language I use. Um, and then uh, another thing is um, there are organizations you can support, obviously, Black Lives Matter. Um, we talk about beer a lot on this podcast, uh, you know, the, like Holy Mountain Brewing, which is um, fully run by a bunch of white dudes, but they're sub- donating 10% of their uh, sales to Black Lives Matter. 
um, King County this, uh, this week. And, um, you can do things like that. Um, if we are the privileged class and, and we have the, the, the privilege of, you know, maybe having a more comfortable life because of that. Um, if you, if you do feel that you want to help other people, you, you, you can use that kind of literal, uh, literal benefit, um, that you may have, um, uh, from your white privilege. Um, um, I, I, I think of, uh, Jeff, I, 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 t- I talked about it with you, uh, uh, there was this group of people, uh, you know, denouncing their white privilege on, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, on, on Twitter. Right. There's and, this and, video of like hundreds of white people on their knees with their hands up denouncing their white privilege, which, which fine. I know that it's well intended or whatever. And those people yeah. are on our side, like they're, they're, but, but the thing is like, if you believe that, you know, if you believe that in, 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 the, the existence of white privilege, um, you probably have benefited from that in some way. So if, if you're feeling guilty about that, like go throw some money at the NAACP or, or, or any other, um, uh, you know, if, you know, uh, organizations that support black trans people, cause they, they have a really shitty time in life. Um, uh, they, they can have a really shitty lot in life. Uh, uh, organizations that just really, um, you know, even bail funds, um, uh, the, the existence of bail itself is, is a pretty racist, um, uh, institution. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, bail funds are, are something you can do. Um, yeah, that's obviously money. Um, if, if you can't do money, um, just advocating, um, as a person, uh, just living that life and, and uh, uh, stopping it where you stopping uh, action where you at racist action where you see it, like you know calling it out and and uh, it I, it can be difficult and and I battle with I've battled with it for years with my extended family that have largely uh, I largely do not communicate with at this point but um, but yeah you you can you can be that voice. Um, if, if you don't have that money, if you don't have those resources, but, um, and right now you can, you can be a part of, you know, the, the protest cause, uh, there's clear evidence that the protests are having an impact. Oh yeah. Like I, like it's, um, the charges have changed on, on, on George Floyd's case. Um, like the, the, the murder charges upgraded. Uh, on the officer and and then the three other officers have been charged so it's it's it has an impact um we look at uh, i'm i'm going to be curious watching uh a case in tacoma um where a a black man was uh uh, killed in the same way uh that george floyd was using a similar type of hold uh causing a um asphyxiation and death um obviously it's not the same exact situation but it still is there there's a point where uh there's no reason why he should have died in 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 that moment um so you have to look at it why why did he die in that moment yeah Um, and i think the key is here you know that you're you're hitting on is you got to like do something right like and and you got to ask yourself if what you're doing is actually going to be the sort of thing that's going to have a tangible effect 
And, right. you know, you know, we were, we were sort of making fun of the people, but you know, I mean, it really, I mean, like, you know, again, getting on your knees and putting your hands up and renouncing your white privilege, like, okay, I mean, nice gesture. And, you know, there are a lot of statements that have come out that are nice gestures and well-intentioned. I mean, we had a pretty good debate on Kook Center Slack earlier this week about Nick Rolovich's statement. Um, and, I, you know, and I don't want to get too deep into that here, you know, parsing all of his words. But um, I do know that his statement, uh, it, it's, if, again, from listening to uh, the black voices that I follow, um, his statement did not land <laughs> with the black community. Um, and it was again, well-intentioned and he did the whole, you know, I choose love or I choose good or whatever it is. Um, but it's like, you know, it, it was all a whole bunch of like, what does that actually mean? What does that actually do? You know, like, like, like do something tangible, um, and don't just, you know, do something that seems symbolic or is, you know, extremely vague. Um, you know, the more concrete we can be, the better. Zane, I know you talked a little bit earlier about some of the, the concrete things you were doing. I mean, I don't know if you, you kind of said all you had to say on that, but, you know, if, if there's anything you wanted to expand on that, you know, just, and I guess maybe for our listeners, you know, what are some, you know, really simple, you know, first steps, you know, I, I mentioned, you know, following people, listening to people, um, reading them, trying to, trying to imagine their experience, um, you know, believing them when they say something, um, I know you're doing a ton of tangible steps. So, so what are, what are some simple things that, that people can do to try and, uh, or that you have found particularly effective, um, to try and, you know, be anti-racist? As a, as a dad, I'm trying to just expose my children to, uh, content that, ha that is, that prominently displays black people as the hero. Huge. So and if you think about like those of us growing up, you know, consuming Disney movies or just right. everything, I mean, there was, they're almost completely absent. Yep. Um, at least in any way of being a prominent figure that you would look to and say, wow, I want to emulate their behavior or. And everybody's pretty aware, I think, at this point of the fact that the villains tend to be darker skinned. Right. In the old Disney movies. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so. Not even that old. Like, not even that old. Maybe when, like in the when, last. 15 when years right zane and i were kids right right yeah uh and so you know like this weekend um which would i don't know when this will will air probably after this weekend but i mean sesame street is holding like a conversation on race right and so there's there's ways to expose your children to it that are age appropriate to at the very least plant those seeds that uh it's not just white people that are the hero and there's tons of evidence uh in the world right that it's not just white people that are the hero i think that's sometimes why white folks can have this white savior complex when they try to enter into this conversation or issue is because we're really trained subconsciously to to view ourselves that way just because that's like all the movies the action heroes it's all white men mostly the movies the history books the novels that we read in school right. all of it um so that's a i mean that's a step that we're taking which uh which is new which is new for us you know right it's it's uh it's not something that we have always done. It's not something that, you know, from hey day one, we were really focused on exposing our kids to those types of things. But that's that's one of the that's an example of a of a step we're taking. Um, you know, 
the the biggest thing I, I believe personally the only way out of this is through friendship and through thoughtful questions and uh, so I'm I'm trying to use the skills that I've developed in my line of work to ask good open-ended questions uh, to try to take things out of the comments section on a Facebook post and into uh, the direct messages uh, right. in into text messages into phone calls uh, so that we can remove like the need to be right and instead mm -hmm. try to just be vulnerable with whatever our motivations are in sharing what we share or whatever our reasons are for thinking what we think um, and try trying to just have conversations and actively listen um, is, is another step that I'm trying to take. And in my journey for where I'm at, I think those are great things, um, you know, but I also am feeling the need to uh, take the step to just like I've, I messaged my local police department on Facebook and just asked if there was a police officer willing to meet with me off duty on the phone to just talk so I could get to know them. Um, you know, so I, I'm, I think all of those things are just steps to take, uh, you know, as well as, you know, we, we tried to, uh, you know, we bought dinner recently from a black owned restaurant, like on purpose, not just because they have great food, which the food was amazing. Shout out to Carolina smoke and Bothell. Oh, um, but good. yeah, it was very good. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, so I think there, I think like some of the sentiment I have felt and some of the sentiment that I have heard from other people is that this issue can feel really overwhelming and they're not sure what to do and it's not going to get solved in a day. It's not going to get solved in a year. It's probably not going to be solved in a decade. Uh, it's going to take though, I think localized decisions that we all can make as individuals to stand in the gap for people and to be good friends and good community members together. And so whatever that looks like, uh, which it might just be saying hello and striking a conversation up with a stranger uh, to try to let them know overtly that you're glad they're in your community and that they matter to you. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, so Zane, all right. So I, I, I kind of want to riff on that idea of, of asking, of asking questions or, or having other people ask questions. Okay. So, the one of the main retorts from from a number of people in a number of uh, corners of the Internet is uh, when, when, when we say black lives matter, of course, it's well, don't all lives matter. Right. Um, and so, you know, maybe we could go down the road of some of those uh, distracting, you know, counter arguments. So, for example, when you say, yeah, like I'm I'm seeking out black businesses to to spend my money. Um, you know, what if somebody says to you, well, you know, white businesses need money too. I mean, isn't that, isn't that discriminatory to go spend your money at a, at a black business? Like, like, isn't that reverse discrimination? I mean, what would you say to that? I, th uh, there's a great resource. I'm forgetting her name right now. I believe her first name is Jane. She helped do the class divided stuff. Um, um, there's no possible way for reverse racism to be a thing. Racism means that you have power to institutionalize beliefs to oppress and suppress people. So there's no reverse racism of supporting a black owned business. I am also not saying I am anti white owned businesses <laughs> in right. making that statement or act. Uh, the reality is that there's things like redlining that blocked black and brown people from even living in neighborhoods. There's been discriminatory practices around business loans 
or loans of any kinds for a long time that have made it uh, not just a a disadvantage for people of color or black people to start their own business, but the system has actively worked against them. Um, and so, you know, I would ask a question to someone. If someone brought that statement to me, I would say to them, you know, what's like, what emotion are you feeling by me choosing to support a black owned business? I mean, and, and then I would just ask more open-ended questions around what's behind that. Um, because ultimately I think they may not even know, they may not even be able to articulate it. They might just be expressing some level of fear that they're going to lose something. And I think we as human beings are very motivated uh, by not losing that which we already have. Um, and I would just seek to understand what would cause you to even say something like that, uh, because it really would feel like a straw man and rather disingenuous. And I think that uh, in the past, I have gone very hard at those types of statements in a way that is not productive or helpful. And what I'm trying to do now is to, uh, and even if you're a listener on this and that's something you would say, uh, to seek to understand what's behind that. Even though my initial response is that I would be uh, frustrated and, and wanting to attack to instead seek to understand in hopes that uh, we can have a conversation that helps you helps you um, take a step to where I am, where I think that it's a beautiful thing to tell people that they matter, not just with words, but with actions. Well, yeah, I think what you're talking about, Zane, I, I love the way you frame that, where asking, what, what does that make you feel? Um, the thing that we can do as allies is, is kind of take that part of it out of the equation for for the actually affected class the black people like it's the the you know uh, people of color and uh, because they shouldn't have to ask some white person why why they're offended that they're advocating to buy from a black restaurant right but maybe we as allies can be the ones that do that to to provide that education like to to provide that 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 doorway in because like I, I i wouldn't want any like any person like who's been dealing with you know systemic racism their whole life to have to hear about how someone is hurt because you have decided to buy from a black restaurant like that they should not have to deal with that but we as we as the as the allies in this situation, the, the, you know, like who are just, who don't have the direct experience, we can kind of bear that brunt and, and be the ones that handle those people who are, who are not at, at our level yet. And, but maybe are open to moving this way. Yeah. And I, you know, really one of the things that you find is a lot of these arguments uh, that, that come the other direction are not really, um, they're not good faith arguments, right? It's so it's, you know, people, black people are flooding the streets in, you know, unprecedented numbers to right. protest. And, oh, what about the poor business owner who's, you know, what about the poor target that whose windows was smashed? Right. Like, like, what the fuck do I care about target? Like, like they've got so much, they've got insurance up to their eyeballs. Like they're, they're going to be fine. You know, I'm not really worried about target. Um, of course, like nobody thinks that that is good. 
like nobody's like yes you know violence and looting is good but at the same time it, it and look you can get dragged down a rabbit hole arguing about well who's really doing the looting right like is it really the protesters or is it you know far right agitators or is it you know i mean whatever it, but whenever you get dragged into that kind of an argument you're missing the point right and i mean i had somebody on on twitter and you know, it kind of feels like a week ago now but it was probably 2 days ago um, you know, kind of went like basically referring to, you know, the, the, the looting of and burning of buildings. And it's like, you know, yeah, but what about this? And I'm like, I'm like, you know, I, mm, I, I guess I would ask, and I, and I actually went down the Zane path because sometimes I have to like take a step back and breathe for just a sec. Cause, um, as it's funny, like when I'm, when I'm in the classroom, I'm really good at taking a deep breath and thinking of a thoughtful question to prod a kid. Um, when I'm on Twitter, like a lot of other idiots, like all I want to do is go, you're wrong, you suck, you know, and, and I just want to like shout them down. Um, but in, in this case, I, I tried to take a deep breath and tried to ask it. And, you know, one of the things I asked was just like, you know, hey, wh why do you why is a, a, an inanimate object more important to you than a human? You know, and it's like. I'm like, you know, really kind of think about what led you to the conclusion that you're more worried about a building that can be rebuilt than about the loss of life. These people are in the street because somebody died and somebody who did not need to die. Right. And right. he ended up dying. And it's like, well, you know, a building can be rebuilt. I mean, I, you know, I'm sure I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Longtime readers of Cook Center know this. Like I had a son with cancer. Okay. Like, I mean, that was, uh, <laughs> that was a, a tremendous financial burden on our family. And we lost lots of objects through that process. Um, and, and I wouldn't trade one of them for the life of my son. Right. So, uh, you know, if, if your brain is such that, that the, the, the calibration is, man, I'm more worried about that building or that business than I am about that person. Um, you know, I would suggest that maybe you need to think about that just a little bit. And I, I think, yeah, I would, I agree with what you're saying. Also, let, let, Nord, let Nordstrom just hire people to clean the side of their building. You don't have to go do that for them. Right. That also that, um, and one of the things that, uh, I have been thinking about as I've seen some of these smaller communities, like the town next to me, um, like bo both of the cities that border me had, had people, go to the streets with long guns to right. to demonstrate uh because there was rumors of looters coming to those towns and antifa the very organized right organization and, of antifa and uh i've been thinking about that of like man what would drive me to take such a drive like that's a big choice in my opinion to to you know that's not something i've ever seen in my uh, in my life in an american city or at least in a in a, in a city around where i live um, and it, I thought, you know, I, I bet the, the fear that those folks probably felt when those rumors came out that there's people coming to this city mm -hmm. with the purpose to destroy it. And that fear of what is going to happen to us right now that would cause them to, to go to the street with guns to shit, to, to try to discourage that and intimidate that away, that, that fear that they felt. I, uh, you know, the feedback I've gotten from like black and brown friends is that like, that's the fear they live with every day of what is going to happen to us. And 
when I hear that, it is, uh, it's, you know, the, the, the looting and all of that, obviously, um, yeah, I don't want to see violence any at all, but I hope that if, if you are listening to this still and you're feeling that tinge of fear or uncertainty of what is going to happen as all of this stuff is going on, I, I hope that that builds empathy and understanding with the folks who that may be their daily life that may be just their reality of wondering, are they going to get the police officer that shows up who uh, is accepting of them or is not? Or are they going to have the neighbor who is accepting of them or not? Or are they going to have the job interviewer who is accepting of them or not? And, uh, you know, I, I see that. And, and, and that's what my, I'm hopeful that, that eventually we can connect the dots for those community members or friends or family members who have chosen to demonstrate in that way. Um, because I, I really do think that that's just a small window for them or us who are really freaked out right now into what is the daily experience of many of the people that we support on the football field for WSU or on the basketball court or the soccer field uh, or that are in our community that is what their life may, is often just like. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's well put, Zane, and and um, again, that's that's an excellent use of your uh, of of listening to what other people are telling you, and um, yeah, and and at the same, yeah, like you can acknowledge those people's fear, but you can also acknowledge that there's some misinformation that's out of their way, and and and. Yeah, those reports are erroneous, and you are yeah. being tricked by gun store owners or by white nationalists. Yeah. So do not go into the street. <laughs> They're not coming to loot your antique store. Well, I mean, there was a story about uh, a family getting trapped while camping in Forks because they were driving an old bus. They'd driven it from Spokane, and the locals in Forks became – and this is Forks, the the – North, northwesternmost corner of the state, right? Yeah, like, it was picked to be in twilight because it was the, I believe, the least sunny days yeah. of anywhere in the United States. And there ain't so, shit out there. Like, yeah, like I've gone out there, out to there except to, uh, twilight memorabilia right? at every store. And uh, and so apparently some of the locals thought that these people, that was a bus full of Antifa coming to you know destroy their town. And to it's forks. Like, to forks. But right. by, to get to Forks, you have to. And I saw someone mention this on Twitter. You have to drive through larger cities of Port Angeles <laughs> and Squim, right, to even get to Forks, right. So, and it's, I mean, we laugh, but it's not really funny, right? No, like, it's not funny at all. It's, it's like it's like we, we giggle because it's like holy shit, like how? Um, but it's like you said, yeah, it's it's terrifying, right? I mean, somebody's going to get shot. Somebody's going to die because well, of yeah, this. Well, yeah, we've 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 talked about the you know the positive part of like social media of twitter has helped us but there's obviously a, a negative part of facebook and social media and, and facebook and facebook and facebook and but that mostly really, facebook yeah mostly facebook um that has uh i mean because really all the the crazy people on on twitter are bots mostly most of them um, but but uh, but like but yeah but i i you know i we we've shared some posts from like people we went to high school with and people we but like where they've just uh, you you see like people that maybe you don't agree with politically, but you still kind of 
thought they were of sane mind and 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 maybe were even like educated and and stuff but just fall victim to to things like this and and uh that's that's why it's just it's important to listen to people and and like it's uh, you you can't just be getting from the same voices all the time and you'll they'll they're they have an agenda in some way that 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 they're I don't know what it is. Um, I think what Jeff, what you talked about, there's, yeah, there is something to lose if, if, you know, if, 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 if we as the, the, uh, the, the whites are no longer in power, there are some benefits that we stand to lose if, if, if there's equality, right? And, and, and again, and I, and I want to point out that that's what, like Black Lives Matter, the movement is is just about equality, and and even it's not even just about um, raising up black people. It's about raising up, uh, you know, uh, immigrants and and LGBTQ and plus and 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 all that. So um, it's it's not such a singular movement as you might think, but um, it's uh it it's this is just something that it i'm kind of losing my train of thought here but um like you said we're going to hesitate to say things yeah i mean look uh, the the amount to be lost is is not nearly as great as people fear exactly it's not a it's not like oh my god we're gonna be overrun like the white supremacists think right like like that that is that is absolute 100 percent white supremacist doctrine that you know they that white people will be overrun by minorities and that they will in turn uh subjugate us right um that that is that is what that is what's coming that and and you know in in some ways is a really uh, a really crazy kind of fucked up psychology because it's almost like saying like yes we are aware of the atrocities that we have perpetrated and we are fully expecting that those atrocities will be perpetrated on us if it's ever given an opportunity um i mean look that that's not what this is about and and so the the fear of losing whatever it is that's going to be lost I, I think is uh you know ridiculous and completely insane um, and yeah, like there may be some, and I don't know what it is, you know, a little bit of power, you know, maybe a little bit of, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know, like, I don't know what that is, but it's like, man, if I got to give up a little bit of power so that somebody else's humanity, basic humanity can be recognized and fulfilled. I mean, my gosh, like, like that's a, well, I mean, for no-brainer. us, yeah. I mean, for us is like general, like, I don't even know, like if, if, black and brown people feel safer and are more empowered and that we live in a more equitable society. I understand that there potentially are things that I may lose out on, like maybe, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I don't even know what that is. And it's like, it's like, you can't even really articulate it other than as like this nebulous thing, you know, when people try to get into those kinds of arguments and it's something that is, uh, it's kind of like, like if you why are we even thinking about that? You know, right. it's, 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 not... it's why white supremacists point to like things like way of life, right? Like, yeah. Oh, America won't be America anymore. If right. blank. Right. Can, can I, can I just kind of, um, just something in between the white supremacists we're talking about and, and, and between the black Lives matter movement is uh, on the kind of the, the, 
it, it's on that kind of the liberal side is this um, this idea that and, and I think you talked about it with 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 Nick Rolovich's statement is um, I not seeing color. Oh, yeah. And that is just a patently absurd notion. Like it's it, it, it's you, you can't like that. It's that is not anti-racist to say that you don't see color because one it's a lie unless unless you're colorblind or blind or blind like literally blind but at the same time like um uh like there's there's cultural cues there's there's different cues that people take that they find you know just just the way people use language and things like that so it's like the just seeing like just say i don't see color is nonsense and like well let's start here only white people say that yes of course and 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 jeff i think i told you a story of like this um a couple of my 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 two probably best friends i made in grad school and my my best friend i made in grad school was he was uh you know uh i think his father was chinese descent and his mom was white and so he was he was half chinese he was obviously visibly asian or, or whatever you know um and and so he had you know like even like when he was growing up like he tended to make asian friends more you know because that's the groups that he because people see color and so he he aligned with that and so we had this other friend who's he's a great guy and like honestly he was he was well-meaning and and a lot of these people don't mean ill when they say this but we were you know we were having like we were having some beers and we were discussing race and and whatever as um, as people of color tend to always have to do when they're hanging out with white people, honestly, I, I, I'm sorry to all my friends of uh, who, are, who aren't white. Um, I drag you into uh, topics of race every single time, um, which is my fault, not yours. Um, but um, but he says something like, "Well, I, I just try not to see color and 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 all this stuff." And we kind of, me and my friend, other my my friend that you know Chinese. Uh, friend like with the chinese dad he's he's just like we, we just kind of like dude no like that's ridiculous you can't like you obviously like look at look at jamie you know that he's 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 not white like it's like and and that's how that's how he is able to be discriminated against like and and, and a black person doesn't guess doesn't get to say i don't see color because guess what the people that are discriminated against them can see the color like they see it and they judge them by it mm-hmm. and 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 that's that's where it is and, and and that's kind of the middle like if you're in that point if you're listening to this and you're in that point think about that like think think about if think about on the other side like if 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 a black person or an asian person or a hispanic person like if they said i don't see color what would it be like for them right like like is that really how they live their life and i think it's i think it's okay and i think it's okay to and i think within that too like uh as as the the people the people in in the positions that we are in of privilege uh i think when you're saying i don't see color i think most people are probably trying to do the right thing yeah and yeah. and uh and it's okay for us to be humble enough to try to do the right thing and accept the feedback that we missed the mark 
Right. And so for those of you know, if, if, for those of us who maybe say, "Oh, I don't see color," and you get the feedback that, "Hey, that actually, I, 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 what I want more than anything right now is to feel seen." And when you say that, it makes me feel that I'm not seen, that it's that that it's okay. Like, hey, you took a step, but now the feedback was, "I need you to go in a different direction," and that's where I think it's on us as white folks to listen and then take that step forward into, okay, well. If, if saying I don't see color makes you feel unseen, then how can I make you feel seen? And listening to that, that feedback and then taking those steps because um, I would agree with everything you said, Craig, and everything you've said, Jeff, that, that it's, it is um, hopefully out there enough that, that saying that is, is, is not the route to go and, and that while it is well-meaning, uh, the feedback is that it's not hitting the mark. And that's really on us to to listen to that feedback and accept that and know that we're going to make mistakes as we go through this process and journey and that it you just can't stay where you're at uh, and you got to just keep moving forward in it in in accepting feedback and trying to to move forward because i would gather there's not a lot of kook center listeners hopefully who are white supremacists <laughs> uh, <laughs> right there's probably a lot of you know who are on that journey and and that's i think what has been helpful to me where i have just had the kindest people of both professors and friends who have been like zane i see what you're trying to do here but that's not actually helpful <laughs> yeah uh you know, and I think that that's where we have an opportunity to step up in amplifying the voices of the people who are saying, hey, that actually wasn't helpful in hopes that our friends will listen. Well, and that's why we've talked about, um, you know, actual, you know, tangible steps, right? You know, things like amplifying black voices, listening to black voices. Um, you know, what, a couple of things we haven't talked about much, but other things you can do is, you know, seek out um you know, black voices in other formats, you know, books, movies, right? Um, you know, build those relationships with the black people in your life. Seek out relationships with, with black people. Um, not necessarily for the purpose of, you know, my, my having I a mean, black friend. but At, at, at entry level, just uh, like consume the stuff that guys like Jordan Peele make. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of like a, a really easy way to get into it. Like it's like things like that, like it's you're not hit over the head but like yeah if, if if you're if you're if you have an open mind you're going to get yeah. get some message there and and i think it's important to note that you know the the action is what's important um sometimes you're gonna whiff i and i will guarantee by the time we get to the end of this um if someone uh if a person of color wants to be brutally honest with us they will point out something some somewhere where one of us stepped in it Right. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure I am positive we did or we will or whatever. Um, but it's like it's too important to not try. Um, and, and, and that's kind of what we're going for here, because, look, you know, the, the conversation around Rolovich's statement was, well, you know, he means well. And it's like, OK, but it's it, it sort of comes back to like, you know, the, the larger conversation here is who gets the benefit of the doubt for things. Right. Like um, one of the one of the issues with our, our racial inequality is who gets the benefit of that. Oh, well, you know, he means well is usually a thing reserved for white people. Mm -hmm. Right. And to be honest, you know, look, we are in this position because there were a lot of well-meaning white people. Look, we didn't we didn't get in this position entirely because of racists. We didn't get in this position entirely because of white supremacists. We got in this position for uh, because of a lot of, you know, well-meaning white people who 
didn't want conflict or um, were willing to just sort of go along with it or thought to themselves, you know, hey, if I just do, you know, these these things kind of behind the scenes and, you know, if I retweet some black people once in a while, you know, I'm doing my part, right? You know, I mean, it's, look, I mean, it's okay to be well-meaning, but but you have to ask yourself if, you're, if your well-meaning thing is is actually accomplishing anything. And like another example of that is and look our our affinity for Kyle Smith is well known on this podcast. Like we adore Kyle Smith and Jalen Shedd, who we talked about earlier with the with the racist coach at, you know, Texas State, um, followed that up by saying his experience playing with Kyle Smith was one of the best experiences of his basketball career. Like he loves Kyle Smith. So I am not calling into question, you know, Kyle Smith's intentions or anything else. But Kyle Smith uh, put out a statement uh, basically saying like, hey, you know, I've, I've, I've heard this. I've, I'm, I'm listening. I understand that, you know, some of my players have been affected by this, which was, you know, pretty obvious reference to Noah Williams, right? Right. And he tried to take an actionable step, which is what we want, right? Like it's commendable. He says, okay, like he, you know, he talked to the Pullman police department and they agreed to, uh, as, a, as, as a first step, have a dialogue about you know whatever right <laughs> you know relationship between police and, and and black people or whatever um and and i'm like great you know that that's good you know it's a that's a good intention however <laughs> like like we we like i i've been a coog long enough now to know um how many times there has been dialogue between the pullman police department and the black community in pullman like, like it's like, 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 because the students change every four years, right? Um, this is a thing that has happened multiple times over the time that I've been associated with WSU, you know, two and a half decades. Um, it seems to be a thing that happens over and over and over. Oh, we're going to, we're going to talk about it. And, and the, the root of it maybe never really, they never really reach it seems a second step where it's like, okay, so we talk and, and typically, and, 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 you know, maybe this is a good kind of gateway for us to talk about policing just a little bit um, before we wrap up because we've been talking for a while. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with how some of these dialogues have gone in the past in Pullman, and they have typically been the police telling the black people what their perspective is as police people and how the black people can uh, not run afoul of the police department. <laughs> like it's that that's typically how those conversations have gone. And so, you know, it's it, it's great to have a first step as a dialogue. I understand. Like we got to talk first, but um, but but there needs to be some sort of actionable uh, a thing that that follows that up. And and if you're on Twitter at all <laughs> right now and, and you follow any sort of news source or, or whatever, um, it's impossible to miss what's happening in the streets. And, um, you know, it's it, this may not be, again, a popular opinion with with some of our listeners. I don't know. But hopefully if you're still listening, you'll hear us out on this. Um, it certainly seems at this point like police are, are a pretty big part of the problem and not part of the solution, which is something that, you know, of course, black people have been telling us for uh, like a century. Well, yeah, and, and I, I talked I talked about um earlier about um the man in Tacoma who who has recently come to light and um who who was uh uh you know uh died died in in the similar hold uh that uh, George Floyd died in and that's that's a part of policing and and why are they ignoring when someone says I can't breathe and that goes back to Eric Garner in in New York and and um 
there, there's there's some like fundamental um, things that that seem to happen and you, you see pop up in different police departments in different parts of the country where like this is just must be a, a cultural thing of police and now we see with the protests um, like really these the you know if you break it down to the simplest fact like these protests are a protest against uh, the police um, and how they have chosen in in, in many places and um, to handle it is by coming out in full-on riot gear and standing in the way of the protesters and blocking them from going places and then um, throwing tear gas and, and flash bombs and it's um, it, it there there's this from from my view what it what it seems like is uh these protesters are met with the same sort of uh uh the same the same way that that kind of black people feel they're always met with police is that they're automatically every, everyone's a perpetrator every everyone is the the bad guy and and we'll we'll start as them as the bad guy and move from there and and they're treated like a criminal or whatever from the get-go and so we we've seen this play out with the protests like repeatedly you know the slightest you know they'll, they'll say that there was a bottle thrown at us well you're you're wearing you're wearing like football pads like why do you care if a bottle hits you like does that and then they don't know who threw it they throw tear gas into the crowd like and which we know goes against like the way the what they're supposed to do like it like seattle has been the the seattle police department in particular has been under a, a lot of scrutiny for a decade so like we know that they're not supposed to just lob uh tear gas into a crowd when they don't know who threw who threw the bottle or whatever but 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 you see that these protests can go on and on and be peaceful until the police are introduced and and there seems to be this misunderstanding that like this protest is uh, like against the the to, like the way police are treating African Americans, like why are you showing up with force? Like why do you think that that would why why like that that's the opposite of de escalation? You are escalating the crowd immediately, particularly you show in up. direct contrast to what happened the week before, right? Like with all the protests over stay-at-home orders, exactly people show up and it's you know they they show up because they want a haircut and okay the police just stand there and take the yelling and whatever else and then what's what's different this time and again there are people who would argue oh the police are there to control violence there are da 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 people breaking windows and I don't know man I'm looking at my timeline and I'm seeing you know like about there's a guy who's got a thread of about 250 different incidents of you know police uh unprovoked brutalizing people when well, I I um I read it these aren't people like breaking windows these are people just marching in a the street 
I read a good thread today on the um, uh, the protests in New York City, and they, they had an 8 p.m. curfew. And they basically, this guy's like, okay, we were protesting from 1 to 8. And then 8 o'clock, we were seeing the messages like curfew, blah, blah, blah. So we try to go home, and, and, and they're walking towards the subway, and police are, are stopping them, arresting them. It's like, well, they're walking away, like... They don't know where they're going. Like you're, you're treating them like you. They're not giving them an ability to like, and that's when, you know, the rioting happens. Is is when they step in and like I, I had, a, I, I had. There was a march that went right by my house yesterday, and it was very peaceful. And the only cops I saw were two blocks ahead of the march on motorcycles, basically just stopping at intersections telling people it's coming, telling them to go a different way. The right in front of my house and, and I kind of felt I was I was out in front and I was, you know, watching it and, and, and kind of, you know, partaking in the in the chance and everything and, and had my daughter out there and um but I I had kind of I was gonna go back inside because I could tell they were kind of getting ready to to peter out and but uh uh, one of the leaders comes on and says, okay, everyone stop, everyone stop. And they stop and they turn around and she goes, we went a little too far. We have to turn around and go back. No one had to tell, no police officer had to tell them to do that. They did it on their own. No police intervened. It, it all happened very peacefully. Like a lot of these protesters aren't out like looking to cause trouble. But the way that the protests are being handled by authorities are causing more trouble. Yep. And like the these like it's obviously protesting is 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 a basic right guaranteed in the US Constitution. But it doesn't feel like it the way that like police are handling the protests right now. Yeah, and and I think a lot of that comes back to sort of the foundational element of policing, which is that police are essentially there to maintain order for the for the majority, for those in power. Um, there's a great podcast that protect to, property, right? Protect a, and and who owns the property, right? Yeah. Like not the people marching in the streets, you know. Um, there was a great podcast I listened to today um, from NPR called Throughline. Uh, it's it's a podcast they do about sort of his, the historical through lines that lead us up to today. Um, and they did one on policing, which, uh, again, was superior. And, and um, you should go listen to it if you want to understand a little bit more about how we got to this point with policing. But, you know, really the origins of policing in this country, there haven't always been police in this country. Um, you know, colonialists didn't have policemen. Um the police were introduced with the with the introduction of slavery. They 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 were slave patrols essentially to, um, you know, keep the slave population under control to to avoid an uprising um, against the the white slave owners. So um, so it, it's not it's not too crazy to see how we end up at this point. And you know, I guess what's super wild about it is that so much of it is on video and it just, they don't care. Um, you know, there's all these incidents on video of, of just things that you can't explain. And again, you know, I, I see some people twisting themselves into a pretzel trying to explain away what was there. Oh, well you didn't see the 15 seconds before that. You don't know what happened. Well, again, who gets the benefit of the doubt and why? 
And I would just encourage people, um, just as I said, you know, trust the black voices, listen to them, believe them, right? Like believe your eyes. Like when you look at one of these videos and you see, you know, 150 people trapped on a hillside uh, trying to get away, but there's a fence and the police are just firing canisters of tear gas repeatedly at them from behind. Um, believe your eyes like that's like that that is what it looks like you know when the video that was going around twitter tonight of some policeman in buffalo uh shoving an old man down and he cracks his head on the pavement and he starts bleeding and the police just keep walking by right like nobody stops to see if he's okay they just keep going um believe what you see there there, there is no more context needed um, Zane, you know, we, Craig and I have been talking a whole bunch here, uh, but you know, you talked about some of the things that you're doing, you know, to, to talk to your, talk to your police station. Um, so maybe, you know, expand on that just a little bit, but also like just from a philosophical level, um, you know, one of the things that's, that's, you know, floating around Twitter right now, that, that's kind of a buzzword is defund the police, you know, maybe just, and I don't know if you have very strong thoughts on that, but, but, you know, maybe like, like explain a little bit about what that is and, and, and what maybe some of the alternatives are to policing that, that we could be looking into um, instead of this cycle of, Hey, let's, let's train the police better um, and surely things will get better. And, and they really never do. Yeah. The, my motivation in trying to get to know them is my hope that if, uh, if they know me and we become friends that hopefully there's a drop in the bucket of building trust uh, with me and that my worldview of trying to be accepting, if they do not hold that, I can potentially help in some way. Um, I think uh, a statement I've heard in the past is, you know, trust is built in drops and lost in buckets. And I think that that's what a lot of people are kind of seeing right now when it comes to some of the behaviors of certain police departments that they're not acting in ways that are trying to build trust with the community. They're kind of viewing the community as the enemy. Um, so the whole concept of defunding it is just looking for, it's not to uh, take things away from them of like, we're um, it's, it's more of like, how can we reallocate? I guess, I mean, in some ways it is trying to take things away, but it's more just how can we reallocate the resource of our tax money to make a community that is not fearful of those who are charged to serve and protect us. Um, and, you know, they have an incredibly hard job and they have a job that I do not understand. I've never had to do. And I've been really impressed by the police in the town that I live in. They have joined the protests. They have held signs. They've brought their families out um, to meet people. And I think that is what uh, I would love to see happen across the rest of the country, but is unfortunately what is not happening. Um, and I think it was interesting, like my wife and I and our kids, like we marched for the first time ever uh, and held signs in our town. And I felt this like pitter patter in my heart of like, man, I know there's going to be people who aren't going to like this, but I felt safe because earlier in the week there were other people who had demonstrated and there was a similar experience to like what you described, Craig, in Tacoma, where it, like the police were helpful, um, or at least were not interfering. <laughs> uh, and right. and um, it's just a it's concerning and sad to see that not be the case everywhere else. And uh, it's it's a problem. It's a massive problem. It's a crisis, I would say, uh, even. And um, I don't think any of us like 
are here saying uh, we're not, you know, we're not trying to peanut butter spread that like all people are this way or that way, but it is a problem when police show up not wanting to listen, but are instead uh, looking at the people who are just trying to peacefully share their views as folks who need to be uh, pushed around or gassed. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm, I think my um, I'm processing in real time a lot of these thoughts. To be honest, I mean I've uh, like I mentioned earlier on, like I had never even really thought about engaging with police because my life is so privileged that like I wouldn't ever even need to call them really. You know, right. um, like there was a spat of people prowling cars last year and our neighborhood like freaked out and I was kind of like I don't know like whatever I don't have anything in my car worth stealing. Uh, and that's like the only instance where I've felt the need to even, or even been around people who were like, oh, we got to call the police about this. So um, it's one of those things where I'm, uh, again, just trying to listen and learn. And, and like you said, Jeff, believe my eyes that there are clearly things that need to change in regards to how our communities are served and protected. And I'm trying to do my part to get to know them, to ask good questions around things like implicit bias and de-escalation training and uh, make sure that those things are in place. You know, I have another friend who lives in a different city in a different state. And she was saying, you know, due to COVID, like it's actually really hard to even get training in the door to help right now. So it's like I couldn't imagine a worse scenario where you have all of these protests going on and it's harder to get train trainers to come in and actually talk about those things and that's where i think uh, what we're seeing from the protests is real change can happen if we speak up and so if you're concerned or just curious i would encourage you to talk to your leaders and ask good questions around how they approach things uh, like de-escalation or what the policies are on wearing body cams uh, to make sure that those policies are followed and so that the police who are there to actually serve and protect can do that and those who are there to not get rooted out yeah and and i'm of you know <laughs> you you I, I appreciate your perspective and i i am more on the train of you know like slash that budget like i'm like you know let's let's put that money somewhere else um and and i do you know to to give a bit of the benefit of the doubt look police are not put uh generally put in uh like winning positions, I guess, I guess I would say like, like, like they, they are asked to um, deal with a lot of societal ills that they are frankly, completely and totally not equipped to deal with. And, and we're which seeing, I, which I'm sure you as a teacher can. Oh yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was, I was going to talk about that. I mean, look, we, you know, we have a school resource officer who, uh, so I, you know, I'm, I, I don't interact with him very much, but he is on our campus from, you know, time to time. It's not, it's not all day, every day, but, but he's on our campus. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it has always made me a little bit uneasy because I'm like, you know, do we, do we really need a cop here? And, and, you know, and part of it also is, I mean, look, you know, he, he shows up and, and again, I'm, you know, I'm sure that they feel like they have a good reason for doing this, but I mean, you know, he shows up dressed up in his, you know, his sheriff's, you know, jumpsuit, um, 
you know, gun, a, gun on his side and he's got his belt full of tools and whatever. And, uh, you know, he's, he's clearly wearing uh, some sort of protective vest underneath. And I mean, he's just, you know, he, he, he looks like he's dressed up in a suit of armor. Right. And, and, you know, he's a white guy and, and it's just like, you know, like, like, is this really needed? And, you know, he, he, you know, spends some time talking to our staff one time about, um, you know, needing to, you know, what we need to think about with active shooter situations. And, and frankly, that's a thing that teachers, you know, as you can imagine, don't like to, to think about very much. But, um, you know, just sort of his whole worldview was everybody around him is a potential suspect, basically. And he was encouraging us to be aware of our surroundings and look around and be looking for potential threats. And I'm like, bro, we don't, man, we do not look at the world that we cannot look at the world that way. Like that's, I'm sorry. Like we can't, like we cannot look around at our 30 students and say, which one of these kids might shoot me? Like you just, you just can't. Right. And, and I'm like, but that offers a, a glimpse into the worldview of, of policing where, where everyone's a potential suspect, everyone's a potential perp. And it's just sort of like, it's not healthy. And there are lots and lots and lots of societal uh, places where that's not a healthy outlook and that's not a healthy approach. And school is one of those places. Um, and, and look, I teach in a district where it's not exactly a school to prison pipeline. You know I mean? Let's, let's be real about that. Um, but there are lots of other places where it is, you know, where kids, uh, you know, the, the kids who are arrested at school are disproportionately black and, you know, that's, that's just the direction it goes. Um, but there are lots of other things too. I mean, we think of all the things we ask police to do. We ask them to, to do things like homelessness. We ask them to take care of things like mental health distress calls. We ask them mm-hmm. to talk about, uh, to deal with domestic violence. Like these are things they are fundamentally not equipped to do. And, and we ask them to do things like, uh, crowd control at, at a protest. And again, when your viewpoint is that every person out there is a potential threat, that every person out there is a potential, uh, perpetrator, you get what you've gotten. You know, that's that's what you get. And, and that's why uh, force becomes the default. That's why black people die in white person custody because in white cop custody, because um, they are seen as as a potential threat. I mean, look, you know, I, I think you mentioned, you know, the person in Tacoma who died in, in police custody. I mean, I read the story. Manuel Ellis. Yeah. Sorry, I yeah. So I read I read the story about him. And as part of the police report, they talked about how he picked up a police officer by the vest and threw him down like like a rag doll or something like that. I, mean, I can't remember the exact wording, but that was in the the actual police report and I'm thinking really? Like like yeah. like like you you want me to believe that happened? Like really? You know, I mean, in the whole like, you know, black people have superhuman strength is is sort of a uh it, that's a through line all the way back to to slavery basically. Uh, but it's like, you know, what we need to do is, is reallocate resources. Like there are, th- look, do police need to investigate murders? Yes. Like we need police to do that. Right. Like, I mean, there def- do we need police to make sure people aren't speeding? Eh, maybe more speeding cameras would do the trick. I don't know. But it's like, you know, do we need police for certain functions? Yes. Are we asking them to do way too much? Yes. And yeah. are we putting them in positions where we are inviting conflict? Yeah. When we have them go and, you know, we institute a curfew. I mean, the whole point of a curfew is to create conflict. Like, let's be real. Right. Like that's to set up a situation where police have to enforce something. So, yeah. um, And that that it gives them an opportunity to like it it, it sets up a a situation where people are, quote, breaking the law. Like even, you know, even unintentionally. 
And yep. that's that's where it was I, I was talking about with the the example of of you know the people in New York protesting until eight and no one there weren't police around and then suddenly at eight like cop cars were coming in yeah and they were and there are examples of the cops boxing protesters in also and not yep. letting them leave and then it hits eight o'clock and then it's like okay here come the arrests right it's on a bridge yeah and it's you know and there are examples also around the country of police essentially vacating the protests and magically there's no violence yep right and like you know i i I saw it with my own eyes in front of my house like it's 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 and obviously that that protest was not the scale of the protests on capitol hill in seattle or, or 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 you know in new york city or whatever but at the same time a lot of the people that are heading out uh, with a sign in their hands that says Black Lives Matter are not looking to um, destroy uh, no. their surroundings. They're no. looking to just um, they want to be demonstrate and they want to demonstrate. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So when we say defund the police, that's what we mean, man. Let's put let's put that those dollars in the hands of uh, social workers. Let, let's put those dollars in the hands of mental health professionals. Look, when, when we're dealing with homelessness, you know, let's not send the police to clean out the camp and arrest homeless people. Let's, you know, let's, let's figure out ways to, to help the situation. Um, you know, when we're dealing with schools and, and, you know, you've got students running into to cops because of things they do at school, you know, let's get, let's get social workers to try and address some of the underlying issues, uh, that cause students to, you know, perhaps do things in school. And, oh, by the way, you know, let's not suspend them every time that they do something dumb, which is kind of part of the issue. Oh, we suspend them. They've done something dumb. Let's suspend them. Well, now they're mad and they do, they yell at somebody. Oh, are you threatening me? Now I'm going to arrest you. Right. Like, I'm not saying that happens at my school because I don't think that does, but I know it happens at other schools. You know, that's how this thing happens. And so, you know, let's let's put the money in places that can actually solve problems um, and not put the money in places where, um, you know, where basically we've got paramilitary, you know, paramilitary stormtroopers yeah. and you're thinking you're creating, violence is the answer because that's their default. Right. It's, it's violence. You're creating criminals. Right. At the same time, we're creating criminals that we don't need to create. And the default of police is violence. Whether you want to believe that or not, it is. An arrest is an inherently violent act. So w- whether it's a peaceful arrest or not, it's it's a it's it's a violent act. Somebody is taking control of somebody else. Um, and so that that is the nature of policing is, is violence. And and the more we can remove that from uh, from our society, I think I think the better. And you know, so people a lot of people are afraid of that. You know, they're afraid of the idea. Oh, my God, less police. Ah, what will happen? Lawlessness. And no, 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 no. And it's like, you know what, though? Uh, you've got lawlessness now, people. Like, like it is clear. They, they have done everything with police. They have funded police. They've given them weapons of war. They, I mean, they've, they've given them money. They've trained them. They've given them sensitivity training, implicit bias training. Like, they've given them body cameras. Man, if you think body cameras is going to solve anything, my God, everything right now is being recorded. Body cameras ain't going to do shit, you know? So let's take away some of that money. Let's put it somewhere else. Let's put it somewhere else. Yeah. I don't know. Closing thoughts? Uh. If that sounds like a crazy idea to you, I would encourage you to read about Camden, New Jersey, and what it looked like for them to reimagine their police department. Uh, and that's been an interesting read for me this week of kind of, as Jeff and I have talked about that in Slack, of kind of what that even means. So 
I would encourage you uh, to check that out and to know that um, you need to listen and then figure out what your next step is. It could be retweeting something. It could be reading something. It could be reaching out to someone or marching. Figure out what it is and then keep going. Keep going. Keep taking steps. Because if we, if we don't, this is not going to change. And we have to do our part not to run the show by any means, but to be visible to create space for the people who can't be heard. Yeah. Um, well put. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. It's just, uh, when we, when we say black lives matter and, and, um, when, when people, uh, say, well, all lives matter and, and, or blue lives matter, whatever, um, black lives matter doesn't mean that other lives don't matter. Black lives matter means that, uh, we as a country have minimized the value of a black life for a long time. And, and, and that is what black lives matter means is that, um, uh, we are trying to push towards, um, something, uh, an equal standing, um, uh, and, and, that, and that's, that's all it is. And, uh, you shouldn't take offense when you see black lives matter. That it doesn't mean that only black lives matter. It just means that, um, black lives maybe haven't mattered enough in, in the past. There's a baseline of decency <laughs> and we have not lived up to that decency. And that's where yep. we need to get to. Well, it is, it has been an hour and 40 minutes. Um, so, uh, I, I think that's, that's, uh, that, that, that's our cue to probably end this. Um, yeah, uh, again, um, just, uh, find black voices on Twitter, uh, in, in, in your neighborhood, uh, um, have conversations. Um, those are our plugs. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah, it, it's, um, if, if you, if you want an example of, of how it's different when, when, when there's uh, a, a, a person of color and leadership, just, uh, kind of compare, um, how, uh, uh, the mayor of Tacoma, um, spoke tonight about, um, Manuel Ellis's death, um, versus, uh, maybe what you've seen from, um, other mayors, um, having different perspectives matters, uh, different, um, views matters, uh, and, and, and don't fall into the uh, belief that just because the four different, the four white people in your, in your office have different views on things is diversity. Um, cause it, 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 it doesn't mean their experiences are different. It just means their thought process might be different, but, um, anyways, so, uh, yeah, um, I, I, I appreciate you, uh, Jeff and Zane hopping on, uh, tonight to talk about this. Um, it was hard for me, uh, to, uh, agree to do this. Uh, um, it, it, it felt very uncomfortable. I don't know about you guys, but, um, 
but yeah, um, we usually say go Cougs at the end, but I, I, I think we'll, uh, we'll end it with Black Lives Matter. Yeah, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter.